So just like to wish you all a Merry Christmas this week and I uh, hope it's a blessed uh, time for you thinking about um, lots of good things, particularly thinking about Christ. He came, why he came, what did he accomplish, good stuff. So the Christmas message today is really going to answer this question that's on the screen here for you. Did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah? Israel's been looking for the Messiah. Sadly, uh, some, some Jews are still looking for the Messiah to come. Messiah just means he's the this special anointed one, the king of Israel. Down through history, God provided us a road map. Not that one on the screen, but what, what he's done is he foretold various signs and conditions, and he did that through his prophets. He sent many prophets through the years. The prophets spoke of things that mankind should watch for. They, they were signs that were pointing to this Messiah, and when, when he came, he should have been recognized, he should have been believed. And they were given to us, of course, these signs were given to us in the Old Covenant, we call the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is just a part of your Bible written before Jesus was born. Uh, some of these prophecies were written uh, way back, you know, 1,000, like 1,400 years before Christ even came. Uh, the Old Testament was completed around 450 B.C. So these, these things can't just be coincidences. These are incredible prophecies, very detailed prophecies, written at least 450 years before Jesus' birth. In fact, there's, there's over 300 prophecies uh, referring to Christ's birth, uh, his, his death, and his resurrection. So there was some mathematician, I forgot his name, but anyway, uh, this, this mathematician had some free time on his hand, obviously, and here he put together the odds of what it would it take for uh, all those prophecies to come true. I'm not a mathematician, so I can't even verify these things as being true here. But, but the odds, basically, are, are staggering for anybody to fulfill these, all these prophecies. Here's how they put it. For, for eight, just eight prophecies, and I'm going to give you at least eight today, at least, just starting with eight prophecies referring to Christ, it's, your chances of that is one in a huge number there. It's, it's the... I don't even know what that is, sorry. It's, it's the number 100 with 15 zeros after it, whatever that is. If somebody was able to fulfill 48 prophecies, just one person, that's one chance in 10 to the 157th power. It's, it's such a big number, we just say 157th power, because if I put 157 zeros on the screen, you would, you, you'd go cross-eyed. Right, But for someone to fulfill 300 prophecies is impossible, unless you're God. <laughs> That's basically what the guy is saying. Only Jesus fulfilled these. And it's a magnificent detail that, that we need to just take note of. These prophecies uh, that, that mark the Bible here for us really highlight a lot of things for us. But one of the things I just want to highlight for you is that it shows that Scripture is inspired of God. 
breathed out by God. He's the only one who could have done 300 plus prophecies. It's, and, and so what we have here written down for us today is a historical record. It is totally accurate, totally reliable, and, and it sets the Bible apart from any other writings that have ever been done or ever will be done. And so what I want to accomplish through this today, my, my proposition is something like this, that God wants you to believe in Jesus, and he also wants you to, to, to believe and to trust his word. It's trustworthy. He, he showed you how trustworthy it is by giving you all these prophecies, and you've seen many of them come true. Now, there's some, some prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet, and we know they will be because God is totally trustworthy. So I hope um, if you're a Christian today that your, your faith is strengthened. Uh, you, you, would, you would believe in this Messiah who was prophesied and who came, and, and your, your trust in his word would be strengthened. You would be encouraged by what we see in these prophecies. Jesus, by the way, made it clear the Old Testament predicted his coming. In fact, look what he says here. Oh, by the way, just heads up, I've got so many scriptures today, I've put them on the screen for you. I don't, I don't like doing it this way, but there's just too many. Otherwise, we'll be here for two hours. So uh, you can try to quickly turn in your Bibles, but you probably won't make it. So I'll put them on the screen here for you. But uh, here, li- listen to what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day. In John 5, verse 39, this is not a good thing, by the way, because he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. <laughs> Key word there, you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Notice Jesus says, Those Old Testament scriptures, they're bearing witness about me. So, that's what we want to do today. We want to use the scriptures and see how they bear witness to Jesus, particularly showing Jesus is the one who fulfills all those uh, messianic prophecies. The first one, let's go all the way back. We're going to go back a long way here. So, one, like 1,400 years before even Jesus came. And what, what you're going to see is that the family line of the Messiah was predicted that far back. And so Jesus fulfilled a, actually a number of predictions that had to do with Messiah's genealogy or his family line. And, and God, what, what, what we're going to see him do is he keeps narrowing this down narrowing the family line of the Messiah down for us in such a way that it eliminates everybody else other than Jesus. <laughs> He's the only one who, who fulfilled these. And the first prediction we, we can see here is that Jesus will come from the family line of Shem. comes from the family line of Shem. Now, those of you who heard all those messages coming from Genesis, remember Shem is one of Noah's sons. We all come from Noah, right? He, he and his three sons and their wives, the last people on earth, eight people that were saved alive through the flood. And so this is written some, approximately uh, 1,400 years before Christ. So look what it says here. Genesis 9, 26 and 27. Noah's the one speaking this. He says, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Shem, 
and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So he's giving these blessings to his three sons. Uh, Notice uh, Shem comes first. Notice Shem is the one who gets the the greater blessing here. But, uh, of course, Noah had not just Shem, but he also had Ham and Japheth. But what what God does, and when you look at the genealogy in the New Testament, though, is he eliminates one-third of all humanity when when he says the Messiah would come through the line of Shem. You say, does the Bible say that? Yes. Look at Luke's genealogy here, chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Uh, verse 36, I've, I've underlined some key words uh, through these verses. You get the point, hopefully. So notice, uh, as it's laying out Jesus' genealogy here in Luke chapter 3, uh, you got some people you may not recognize there, like Kainon, and then there's the son of Arphaxad, and But then there's the son of Shem, one of Noah's sons. In the case you didn't pick up on that, it actually says the next phrase, the son of Noah and the son of Lamech. So there you go. Jesus is coming from the family line of Shem. Well, that's just, uh, you know, that's okay. If, If that's a third of mankind, that's still a large group, right? But what I want you to see now is God's going to narrow this down even more for us. And we see that Jesus... Number two, will be a descendant of Abraham. Another prediction. He's going to be the descendant of Abraham. Because in Genesis 12, remember the Abrahamic covenant we talked about? In Genesis 12, verse 3, God speaks here and he says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's eliminating all the families of the earth, but one family now. So it's, it's coming down even less from the family of Abraham. So whoever claims to be Messiah then had to be a descendant of Abraham. Now, there were multiple people over the years who claimed to be the Messiah. But uh, for the, to be the right one had to be a descendant of Abraham. And God said that uh, that Abraham, through him, all peoples of the earth would be blessed. And so you can see the fulfillment of this in the genealogy in in Matthew. Matthew, by the way, remember Matthew's trying to show that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He is the king. And that's why he starts with a genealogy. You may not find that the the most exciting way to start a book, but for for the Jews, this is what they needed to know. And so in Matthew 1.1, it says it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The very first verse in your New Testament tells us he is the son of Abraham. The Apostle Paul emphasized that God specified one from Abraham's line who would be the Messiah, who would be the Christ. So look what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 16. Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises, who were they made to? Notice it says, they were made to Abraham, and notice it says, to his offspring. It does not say 
and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, and we don't even have to interpret this because God does it for you. The Holy Spirit says, who is this offspring? It's Christ, the Messiah. There you go. And so the Apostle Paul says that God uses a singular word here, and he doesn't use the plural. It's not all of Abraham's offspring. It's not all of them, but one in particular would be this one to bless the entire world. There's a third prediction. So let's just keep narrowing this down even more. We see uh, number three here is that Jesus will be a descendant of Isaac. Because you remember, Abraham had more than one child. In fact, what was his first child? Ishmael. God says it's through Isaac. And so he's the one who would be the, uh, the, the one through whom Messiah would come. So in Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, God is speaking here. And God says this in Genesis 26, verse 3. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I uh, swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So notice that last phrase. A similar phrase to the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 12, verse 3. So God's repeating that now to Abraham's son, Isaac. And Matthew, again, showing the genealogy of Jesus Christ, look what he says. See if you can find the word Isaac here in Matthew 1. Because it says it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Abraham was the father of Isaac. You will not find Ishmael's name or any other of Abraham's children mentioned in this genealogy referring to Jesus. So clearly Jesus was from Abraham and then Isaac's line. There's a fourth prediction. Again, keep narrowing this down even more. Jesus will come from the family of Jacob. He's the third patriarch. We can read about him in Genesis 35, verse 11 and 12. And so notice what God says to Jacob here. Notice you'll see this covenant promise keep repeated over and over. And God says to Jacob, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Now, it's it's very general, but notice God promises kings will come from Jacob, from his very line. Of course, I hope you understand that Isaac had two sons. He had Jacob and Esau. And so Scripture says the chosen line wouldn't come from Esau, but would come from Jacob. And so God's narrowing the possible candidates down for who is the Messiah, who is the Christ. And so Matthew tells us in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. So, again, 
we see that Jesus was from Abraham, he's from Isaac, and from the line of Jacob. There's a fifth prediction. We're going to see here that Jesus will come from a particular tribe. Because remember, it's from Jacob you get 12 tribes, right? He had, he had a lot of sons. You get the 12 tribes of Israel coming from Jacob. So, okay, does God tell us which tribe out of the 12? Yes, he does. <laughs> God eliminates 11 of the tribes. 11 of Jacob's children are eliminated, telling us where the Messiah would come. In Genesis 49, verse 10, look at this. God mentions the tribe. He says the scepter, or the, the king rulership, if you will, that was mentioned er, earlier, this scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The prophecy pointing to Christ there. And of course, uh, we can see that fulfilled in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew tells us so. Matthew 1 again says it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham's the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. Oh, and and by the way, he had brothers. But notice Matthew doesn't mention their names. He just says, and his brothers. Why would Matthew do that? Because those 11 brothers aren't significant when it comes to the genealogy of Jesus Christ because they are, they are not in the Messiah's family line. Only Judah is. Well, it's getting narrower here. Okay, so we've eliminated 11 of the, tw- of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, can we, can we, you know, okay, Judah's a big tribe, right? Well, there's thousands and thousands of people here. Can we narrow it down more? The answer is yes, of course, because we see another prediction here is that Jesus will be from the family of Jesse. He's from the family of Jesse. A lot of families in Judah. But there's only one family line of Jesse that where the Messiah could come from. And in fact, it was announced that the, he would be the branch that would bear, bear the fruit. The prophet Isaiah over 700 years before Christ came, the prophet Isaiah says this in chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of... Who? Jesse! There you go! And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Wow. Can that possibly be coincidence? <laughs> no way, all this, this, is, this is not possible. It's totally of God, isn't it? And, of course, Matthew, writing about the genealogy of Jesus, says this. Matthew 1, uh, verses 1 and 5, says it's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Obed, the father of Jesse. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? But then Jesse has multiple sons, too. <laughs> right? So, so they, they had, it was very typical, having large families. Uh, but the, the Bible gets even more specific. There's a seventh prediction here for us. We see that Jesus will descend from the house of David, or the lineage of David. And God told David that the Messiah would, would come from his own line. There's, there is a thing called the Davidic 
covenant. God made a covenant with David. And look at what God's message to David says here in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. God says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. It's kind of a little vague there. Uh, Who's that talking about? Well, may I remind you that Jesse had at least eight sons. But what God does, though, is he eliminates seven of them of Jesse's line, when when he actually says the Messiah would be through the line of David. So this list of potential candidates here, did you notice it keeps getting narrower, narrower, and narrower? And 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 you you should if you were a Jew, if you were someone in Israel, it should be obvious. <laughs> when Messiah came, it should be obvious who he is. It, the Bible tells us so much information about him. So notice, uh, the very again, the very first verse of your New Testament records the fulfillment of that prophecy here when it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. So Jesus is the fulfillment here of this one whose kingdom will be established forever. You say, well, in his first coming, that was that didn't happen. I know. That's why there has to be a second coming. In his second coming, his kingdom will be established He will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Now, when the angel appeared to Jesus' earthly mother, who was Mary, and and announced his birth, the angel confirmed that Mary's child would be a descendant of David. So it's not just Matthew telling us this. Look what Luke says. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. It tells us this, that behold... Talking about Mary here, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Consequently, whoever the promised Messiah would be, he would have to be a physical descendant of David. The King David, that is. King David, who is the son of Jesse. So, there's no other individual that would qualify for the job, so to speak, for this position as Messiah. So therefore, uh, from the predictions with respect to the genealogy of the Messiah, the great majority of the people who have ever been born, and in fact everybody, has been eliminated from contention here, haven't they? However, Jesus did fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about the family line of the Messiah being a descendant of David. Well, it gets even more narrow and more impossible for anybody other than Jesus when we look at some of these other ones here. For example, the eighth prediction is that Jesus will be born of a virgin. Anybody know that ever happening other than Jesus? He's born of a virgin. And so the, the prophet Isaiah wrote this like 735 years before Jesus ever comes on the scene. And, he, and Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Alright? So, so who is the Messiah going to be born to? Well, here's the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Does that narrow it down? And then you come to the New Testament, and the Apostle Matthew gives you the fulfillment of all that. By the way, Matthew, out of all the Gospel writers, Matthew has more Old Testament cross-references than, than, than Mark, Luke, or John. And you, you can see them in your Bible when you read Matthew. In fact, in my own quiet time last week, I was reading the first few chapters of Matthew, and, and they, they're just popping out at me in the Bible because the Bible set them off in a little different way, so it's obvious they're Old Testament quotations. Just read Matthew chapter 1 and, and 2 and then going on into 3, and you'll see all this stuff coming from the Old Testament. And here's what Matthew says in chapter 1, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, speaking to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Which prophet? Well, it's, it's the quotation we just read from Isaiah chapter 7. So it's the prophet Isaiah. And here's what Isaiah said. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, Isaiah didn't tell you what's that. And that's why it says, well, that, that means God with us. So this is not just any child. This is a unique child. This is God who is now taking on human form. He's never done this before. But now he's taking on this human form. He's coming and he's living among us. So there's, there's a lot about Jesus' family line showing there that Jesus is the one fulfilling the Messianic prophecies. But it gets, it gets even more and better here. Because we see even the place of Messiah's coming was predicted. So we know that who he is, we know where he's going to be born. God predicted through the prophet Micah the exact city. Well, if you want to call it a city, very small place at that time. But it tells us the place, anyway, where Messiah would be born. And this, is, this was predicted eight centuries, eight, like 800 years before Jesus was even born there. And by the way, when you read your New Testament, well, well, I'll get there in a moment, but when you read your New Testament, you'll see the fulfillment here. But Micah 5.2 says the town where he was born is Bethlehem. Well, there's a lot of Bethlehems. There's multiple Bethlehems. We even have one in New Zealand, right? So which Bethlehem is it? Well, it's Bethlehem Ephrata. That's kind of another word for... This is the Bethlehem in the region of Judah. Bethlehem, Ephrata, you're too little to be among the, the clans of Judah. So there's mentioned again. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose comings forth is from of old, from ancient days. Well, that can only be Jesus. So it's eliminating every possible city in the world except for the Bethlehem in the region of Judah. <laughs> there's only one that I'm aware of. So if somebody was a descendant of King David and was born somewhere else other than Bethlehem, guess what? They're eliminated from contention to be Messiah. 
it had to be Bethlehem in Judah. The Messiah came from there, and it said so. And Matthew tells us that in chapter 2, verse 1, when it says this, Now after Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem. Which, which Bethlehem? Because there was another Bethlehem in Israel. It's the Bethlehem of Judea. And, and it even tells you the time period, right? In the days of Herod, when, when Herod's king, and then we, we see, well, then that's when those wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Herod didn't know, by the way. Remember the story? He was asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Herod's like, I don't know. Give me some wise guys who can answer this question. Some, somebody around here know? Yeah, the wise guys knew. Because they knew the Old Testament prophecies. They knew what Micah 5, 2 said. And, and so they, they pointed and told Herod. So the wise men could go to Bethlehem. So what do you have here, my friends? You have Jesus is not only born into the right family. We also see that Jesus was born at the right place. It had to be in Bethlehem in the region of Judea. It gets even better. We also see the time of the Messiah's coming was predicted. Look at this, look at this prediction here. We, we see that Jesus is going to be killed before the temple and the city of Jerusalem are destroyed. Do we know when that happened? Yes. History tells us that happened in 70, the year 70. And that's 70 A.D., after, after Jesus, right? So the Scripture predicted the very death of Messiah, even in the Old Testament. Not a, Jesus wasn't the only one who predicted his death. Uh, Daniel tells us, look at this, the prophet Daniel, chapter 9, verse 26, mentions this anointed one. That's what Messiah means, the anointed one. And it says, the anointed one shall be cut off. Or in other words, he's going to die. Shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. That's Jerusalem. And what else is going to be destroyed? The temple, the sanctuary in this city of Jerusalem will also be destroyed. You say, well, how do I, how do I know it's this, this city here? How do I know it's Jerusalem? Well, you have to read the context. It tells you it's Daniel's people and Daniel's city. So Daniel's people were Israel, the Hebrews. Where Daniel was was there in Jerusalem. So that's, that's how we know. You look at the context, you'll you'll see that it's referring to Jerusalem and this temple. It's a prophecy looking forward to this time when the Messiah would be cut off. He would die. But notice it's before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And so we learn three things from just that one verse alone. Notice, number one, the Messiah is going to come on the scene of history, obviously. The Messiah is going to come. The Bible's been building this up. So by the time Jesus comes... Christmas is, is a time of celebrating what, what the Bible's been telling us for like at least 1,400 years. But there's some bad news here because, well, if you don't understand this, it's bad news because it says he's going to be killed. And then after his death, the city of Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. Well, that limits the time period then, doesn't it? So when Jesus came to earth, of course, the temple was still there because... 
remember the Bible tells us over and over again, Jesus and the disciples went into the courtyard there, the temple on the temple mount, and Jesus would often go there to teach. And even after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Bible tells us the disciples would go there. So teaching at the temple was an important part of Jesus' ministry. Obviously it hadn't been destroyed yet. The temple was still there. But some roughly 40 years after Jesus' death, the Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. Now all that's left is the temp- part of the temple mount there, that w- what we call the Wailing Wall, right? You ever seen those images on TV? The Orthodox Jews, you know, they got that little black round thingy on the back of their head. They go up there and they hold up their little prayers and a little piece of paper and they're sticking them in the cracks of the wailing wall. That's that's the temple. What's left of it. So Jesus fulfilled these prophecies about the coming Messiah. So what have we seen? This is just... (laughs) This is just referring to Jesus' birth. Remember, there's over 300 prophecies total. So we see he's born in the right family line. What what family line was that? Well, going all the way back to Noah. Remember, we found out, well, which one of three Noah's three sons? It's Shem. And then it gets narrowed down. Well, it's then it goes to David. And then it gets, you know, we, we see it's it's also in Abraham's line. We also see he's He's born at the right place. He's born in Bethlehem. Which Bethlehem? Bethlehem in Judea. He's born at the right time in history, obviously taking place before the city of Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple there was eventually destroyed in 70 A.D. So these three areas of prophecy we've looked at are revealing some startling things to us. First of all, those prophecies were fulfilled literally. This is not figurative language. There's nothing there that hints that we should spiritualize this. It's exactly as it was written. So Jesus was literally a descendant of David. He's literally born in the city of Bethlehem. He's literally coming on the scene of history for us at a particular time period. And he's literally killed there by Jerusalem before the temple was destroyed. Another thing we see here is these prophecies were all fulfilled without human manipulation. And and it wasn't the humans fulfilling this. Only God could have done this. So there's no way Jesus could have deliberately fulfilled all these. How do we know that? Well, they're fulfilled by His birth. So before He ever gives a sermon, before He does any miracle... Jesus supernaturally fulfills all these prophecies. So he's born into the right family, he's born at the right place, born in the right time of history. And, and, and remember what Galatians said? Remember what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 4 of Galatians? That Jesus, this Messiah, would be born of a woman, born at the right time. Why? 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 He's coming on the scene all at the right time. The, the purpose, he came to die, to redeem his people. So humanly speaking, there's no way Jesus could control all those factors. But God does, because God's in control of human history. It's His story. So, we've only looked at just a few lines of prophecy 
showing that Jesus fulfilled all these things in his first coming. And, and we can make some observations here, but my friends, I hope as you as you've looked we've just looked at a few of these, I, I trust that you believe in this Jesus. You believe the Bible and what it says. And these prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. <clears throat> Jesus, remember, he told those religious leaders in, in John chapter 5 to search the scriptures, discover how they spoke about him. Good advice, by the way. It's a good thing for us to do. The coming of the Messiah was to be born in this family tree. Uh, somebody drew a family tree there for you. We, we see coming from Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, eventually down to David. The New Testament is, is very clear in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is a descendant of David. The prophet Micah predicted the Messiah would be born in a little insignificant place called Bethlehem, by the way, roughly 10 kilometers away from Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul, or Matthew, sorry, tells us Jesus would be born in this little insignificant place called Bethlehem. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, that is, tells us Messiah would come before the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed, and then Jesus, what does he do? He fulfills all those prophecies, comes on the scene at this perfect time in history. Why did he do all that? Well, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he reminds us over and over again. Why is he fulfilling all those prophecies? He is the Messiah, but the Messiah in his first coming wasn't the conquering king that the disciples and so many people in Israel were, were hoping and expecting. Remember what Matthew one twenty one says? Jesus came to save his people from their sins. The greatest problem we have is our sin. And so he came and he was crucified about 40 years after the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The prophecies that Jesus fulfilled were fulfilled literally, only by Jesus. He's a literal descendant of David, literally born in Bethlehem, literally died in Jerusalem before the temple was destroyed. All those prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus' birth. So there's no, no way, humanly speaking, that those things could have been manipulated. Only Jesus fulfills them. So the coming of Messiah was predicted in the Old Testament. We see his coming in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of those promises that were made. And so, my friends, as Jesus fulfills those prophecies, he has the right to claim to be the promised Messiah. What does that mean? Well, that means he should be believed. It can't be anybody else. He must be believed. He's the only one who could have fulfilled those prophecies. And so when, when he comes and this Messiah dies, that means, well, he's fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies as well, which tell us why he came. And so the, the proper response to this Messiah, who is King Jesus, is he must be worshipped. Isn't that what we see happening in, in the New Testament? What do the shepherds do? What are the angels doing? They're worshiping Jesus. They're telling the shepherds, go and worship King Jesus. What do the wise men do? They come and worship King Jesus. There's a lot of people worshiping this baby. Why would you worship a baby? 
because he's worthy of worship. They understood that he's the one who fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. So my friends, there's a great unity in Scripture because there's one author, right? The Holy Spirit wrote it. He, he can foresee the future. He knows all things. So it shouldn't surprise us that even 1,400 years before he came, that he's, he's talking about him, preparing the way. Hello? Roughly year zero, here he comes. And then so now the entire calendar revolves around, guess who? The Messiah, Jesus. What are we going to do with him now? That's the question. Hopefully these facts don't just fill our heads up, puff our heads up, say, cool, look what knowledge that I know. We need to do something with that, don't we? See, the one who fulfills the prophecies is worthy of our belief, worthy of our trust. The question is, do you believe? Are you worshiping this one who is the Messiah? Are you only worshiping him? And and do you love him? For the very reasons and more of why, why he came. Since he came to save you from your sin, your greatest problem, do you believe that? Where does your trust lie? You have to trust this one because there is no other hope. There is no other Messiah. Jesus tells us he is the only one who fulfills these prophecies. May God enable you to believe in Jesus and to believe that his word is the very oracles of God, worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for fulfilling all these prophecies in Jesus. Thank you for giving us these prophecies. So we know that who the Messiah is when he finally did come. We pray that we would be so convinced of these things, these prophecies, that we'd be willing to share them with others, that nothing would sway us from from Jesus. May we see our hope in him and in him alone. May our our, our faith be firmly rooted in, in him. May our May our trust be in your word. Give us a a faith in your word that is immovable, uh, that can't be swayed by the liberals and the the unbelievers and the the people writing the books and the blogs and, and doing all this stuff, attacking your very word. May we not be swayed and tossed about by every wind of doctrine, but may we be settled firm on the rock of Jesus. Give us that kind of faith, we pray. That kind of belief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.